I am unashamed. What about you? So welcome back to uh, Unashamed. I'm in the uh, southern lair uh, today. So we came down here. Lisa had a, she spoke at the First Baptist Gulf Shores at a ladies' day. She had a packed house down here, which is kind of neat. It's kind of interesting because we're kind of in and out down here. So you kind of start knowing some people. Uh, although we have a church back home, you start to know some folks and you know get to know some people in the community. So it was kind of fun to see her get up and do her thing down here. So I kind of went and did her PowerPoint for her and stayed in the shadows, as they say. But we sold a few books to some of the folks down here and met some people. Of course, they kind of know us, Chase, because we've been coming down here for 30 years vacationing. So um, I don't know. People feel like they kind of know us, I guess, because of the show and stuff, too. But it was a, uh, it was fun. So we, we don't have Zach today. He's somewhere doing business. You know how he is. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll miss him. Yeah, we'll miss him. Well, I, I've been on the road as well. I went to uh, North Texas in the middle of nowhere. I found this ghost town on a map. And so, make a long story short, I had a series of conversations with people in real estate, got the landowner, and he listened to our uh, listened to our podcast, so that was a big win. He wasn't convinced that this town was on his property, but it is. And so we went out there, Mary and I went out and found it. The problem was... It had grown up so much. It was about knee high in weeds and grass. the The ground was as hard as concrete. When were the When were the first structures built there to to where you could call it uh, somewhat? It of was ground? early nineteen hundreds. So and, and so, yeah, and it was a town. I saw a picture. He had a picture uh, of the town, the way it looked in I think in the nineteen twenty. So roughly a hundred years. Yeah, a hundred years ago. So uh, I was so excited to find it, but then I was, it, it was unhuntable. You know, those detectors, they you got to have access to the ground because they don't go very deep. And plus the ground was so hard. You know, I lost, after I dug about three holes, I lost all feeling in my right leg, you know, for about two or three days. I mean, it was just pounding the ground with was a, that with from a, a ground rattler or just banging there on? were rattlesnakes around two or three times i stepped i wasn't using my earphones for that reason because i said you know cruising out through a thicket in north texas can be dangerous to your health i just figured if it was my time to go it was my time to go yeah but uh i noticed my partner uh one murray crow he he just kind of walked around there, stayed on the road, and watched me look. <laughs> he said, I ain't going into that thicket. <laughs> so anyway, it was a bit of a bust, but we did that because we had an event uh, on the way back home, so we were going to be out there anyway. We did an event for the actual metal detecting company that you know sponsors us on the show, and so uh, it was in Canton. Texas. I, I didn't realize Canton is where uh, a lot of people go, especially women. They go shopping, antique shopping. You've been, Danielle. Oh, yeah. It's a it's a big, it goes certain days of the week, but it's a big deal. Uh, Mom's been over there, Dad, spending some of your long green on several occasions. 
buying yeah. more junk to Ever, fill up your house. Everywhere she goes, there's a trail of long green. <laughs> she she has hoarding tendencies, Phil. Oh, Hell yeah. What well, does so, she have hoarding tendencies? <laughs> so we what we did was for uh you know Garrett the company that that I'm with they they put this hunt on. It's called a seeded hunt, and what that means is they go out there in this field in the edge of the woods, and they put all this valuable stuff in the ground before the hunt, and there were hundreds of people that show up so 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 a hundred people had buried various things well yeah i don't know how many of them that that it i mean it's so they buried silver and like indian head pennies and uh, all kind of civil war relics like buckles and there's bullets and there's buttons and and it's literally look they all line up on the field they found them once old things yeah they found them once but they buried or reburied them and so they rebury them, and so still I, looking. I don't know how many hundreds of people. But I don't they, know. That look, doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun to me. Oh, fail! Look, just look. So everybody lines up. You, it's you line up the the field. Think that it's a you know like a square, and you got woods, and it it's like you know because what happened was right before they shot the cannon, I noticed a dove flew across that field, and I thought, boy, you better be glad. Because most of the time when you have that, you know, a lot of people gather up in a field, they're dove. <laughs> so they, one, two, three, they shoot a cannon. And when the cannon starts, it it's just, it's, I don't, I, I'm going to guess at 500 people. Maybe it was more than that. They just descend on the field. Well, one way, I guess, to find treasure, and they figured it out, is replanted in the ground where it started from and keep looking. Sound like to me there's a whole lot well, of looking. Just I don't know how much fun that is, Jace. Oh, know. it was fun. I found, uh, I think I found three silver coins. I never moved over 30 feet because I thought, well, number one is when you get that many people with detectors, the interference that's happening on your detector is hard to explain because everybody's getting on your frequency. I mean, these people were just, some of them were running, some of them were walking. I, I thought it was pretty fun. Well, I would think I mean, the equipment to find treasure, I would think that that'd be a pretty good uh, th- line of work to get into in these days if that many people are going to show up just to look. I was surprised at how many people. So, uh, like I said, I found a couple Indian head pennies, uh, a couple Civil War bullets. I found a necklace. Uh, they put they had it in a bag, you know. And uh, so, anyway, it was fun. I mean, I did a lot of meeting and greeting and saw a lot of people in the treasure hunting world, so it was fun. Murray was with me. So then at— I guess it's a way to just look at things of the past, you know, just find anything of the past, and you tend to say, hmm, I wonder what that is. Well, I'm going to make the spiritual application. So they had a speaking—I went to this last year, but last year I just said three or four minutes uh, before we took off. You know, I was basically— just saying, let's just no one. Let's hope no one gets hurt here. You know, just for that many people. But it was, <laughs> it's, a joke. it's a joke. So I, I'll tell you the last thing I did. You was, were like the grand marshal of the. Well, I actually kickoff. got to shoot the cannon last year. So, which was, I mean, I didn't realize it was that loud and that powerful when you pull the cord. I mean, it 
it shook my chest, just kaboom. Did you did you see the end of the golf tournament yesterday, Jace? The one that doing Hilton Head, no. South Carolina. No, so I, they have, had, I have not watched TV in at least a week. So they have the one that's after the Masters every year in Hilton Head, and they fire a cannon when the when the guy wins it, and the guy who won the U.S. Open won it yesterday in the in a playoff, and <laughs> he's on the 18th green, and it's on the 18th tee. And so they fired it, but it was showing him, you know, and he wasn't expecting it. <laughs> it scared him. It was so funny because it just happened to catch it on camera. It made oh, me think funny. about it when you said that. Yeah, it was funny. Well, it uh, kind of reminds me of I saw a blurb this morning as I was drinking my coffee, and a guy was laying out on, the, on his little veranda, whatever you call it, a little porch thing, had a roof. He had a little bed there, and he was sitting there reading the paper, and all of a sudden – he looks up and he jumps, jumps and kind of looks because there's about a 400-pound bear that is just walking, got on his porch, and he's reading the newspaper and he looked up and the and the 400-pound bear is about six to eight feet from him and the bear looked at him and he looked at the bear but he just he just sat there with his newspaper he didn't he didn't move so the bear just walked on by you know it's kind of one of them that that bear was the grand marshal of the porch <laughs> nobody really knows about him but he just shows up jace i don't know i don't grand know why that's Mar- funny but it is so uh so we go then with that lasted for like three or four hours so you hunt i mean you start seeing people they literally looking well, I, I think they found everything that was put out. I mean, you got five, six hundred people. No, move a little further. I put them on the other side of that bush there. No, they just find it. And so, uh, so then we went to the. So what? Meanwhile, they have this. It's kind of like these shows where people have booths, you know. But it's all treasure hunting, and it's people's finds and all the equipment, everything you've ever thought about in the treasure hunting world is in the arena or kind of like the civic center. I guess what you'd call it. And so uh, so Murray and I, cause of course, Murray, you know, is new to this fame. And he was, he because he said, well, you, you speak, you know, and I'll, I'm like, oh, no, you're, you're on the TV show. You're coming up there with me. And uh, so he was a little nervous about it. But I said, well, I'll do a five minute speech. And uh, then we gave away uh, some detectors because I have some with my name on it, so they and they're new or whatever. So they they gave some to the crowd. I mean, they're just promoting, you know, what we do. You've added a you've added a whole other context to the word looking. Well, that's what I was gonna say. But uh, so that was my first though official speech at a treasure hunting event, and so of course you y'all know, you know, I've always. Uh, uh, did what you did as far with the duck calls, just use that as a platform. So, I mean, you know, I get into the Genesis 9 about hunting and go through the duck calls. And so this was a whole different thing. So I, so here's, maybe y'all can help me with, with my, I mean, I think it ended well because I made some spiritual application. You know, there's a lot in the Bible about treasure hunting. So I decided to start with, uh, I said, you know, this is a transition. It, it, you know, I, I'm known as being a uh, a duck caller. So I got the mic. I'm like, you know, I'm Jace. Usually when I do that, they're like, hey, Jace, you know, kind of like the celebrate recovery. But this was crickets. And uh, 
And I said, you know, I've, I've always done this in the duck hunting world, but this is in the treasure hunting world. So I, I said, you see the similarities, crickets. Nobody's chuckling like I like to hunt was was my theme. And so then I told the story about when, uh, you know, when I met my wife and we dated and eventually fell in love, I told the story that when her dad asked me how I was going to provide for his daughter if we got married, I was too embarrassed to say make duck calls. So I, I told him about, you know, me saying that I would be an air traffic controller, which I didn't realize he was as gullible as he is. <laughs> So he thought I was serious, and it actually was 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 fun. So this is my big joke. Was, you were trying hook and hook or crook. Yeah, I said so now. Man, that woman. I said so now. I've moved to ground transportation. I thought that was funny. So the duck hunt world, you get it there. Did anybody laugh? None. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not think that's funny? No, Ground transportation. I'm digging. Especially I'm, on top of air traffic control. Yeah, I I'm get it. Transporting things. So I, then I explained the joke, and then I got a few chuckles. So I thought, which I'm at a stage in my life where it doesn't, silence doesn't bother me. You know? Sounds like it, a tough crowd. That's what I was thinking. Of course, you got to remember, it's in an arena. They all have booths and all, and basically everybody just turned around. I mean, they had a few hundred chairs in the middle, and there were people seated. It's a tough uh, setting, I guess. It's not like you're, and, and I, I don't think they were used to having a speaker. So, uh, so I said, "Well, I got to move on from this. This, this is not working." So then I, I just went spiritual. So I said, well, "Really, what I'm about? There's a lot in the Bible about treasure hunting." And so I held the Bible up and said, "This is." This is what I'm about. So I did notice, and I was surprised, is about half the audience, when I did that, they clapped. So I took that as a good sign. You thought there was still hope. So I quoted. Well, well when you, you always know when you hold the Bible up and get applause, that's a good sign for an audience. So uh, as all of you know from listening to the podcast, uh, life is a very important issue to us mainly because it's a very important biblical issue. We talk a lot about Jesus and uh, how he felt about children. Uh, he said, uh, if you do anything to them, uh, woe be to you. And so uh, we kind of feel the same way. One of the uh, organizations that's uh, been a longtime sponsor of our podcast is 40 Days for Life. And, uh, you know, they're one of those frontline organizations that's just out there, you know, every day fighting the battle. And uh, one of the things I love about them is that, they use the uh, weapons that are not of this world. Prayer is one of their main things. They they do prayer vigils. Uh, they do them at uh, around abortion clinics. They pray for women's decisions. They've also moved into praying at uh, pharmacies as well. We had Sean Carney on recently on our podcast, and we talked about this abortion pill, which is kind of the latest uh, in the battle. Uh, and so some of the uh, pharmacies out there that are supplying these abortion pills, that's kind of the latest thing we're battling. And so they're praying over these places as well. And uh, they have these 40 day uh, prayer vigils, they call them. And uh, they're having a lot of great results. And so uh, we support these guys. Uh, they're winning. They've closed down to help close down 132 abortion facilities through prayer. 
uh, a lot of those in liberal states. And so uh, Sean gave us an update on that. So we just uh, want you to check these guys out, check out their locations, their podcast. They have a free magazine uh, called Day 41 that's really good, has some great information in it. You go to 40daysforlife.com uh, to stay updated. That's 4040daysforlife.com. Check them out and uh, see what they're doing. So I quoted uh, Proverbs 2, 4, and 5, which I'm pretty sure y'all do not know from memory what that says. Am I right? I do not. Because y'all are not treasure hunters or metal detectors. But did you know this? So I don't, when was Proverbs written now? A few thousand years ago? Three? Maybe? Uh, longer, yeah, three. So. It says, if you look for, you know, wisdom and understanding, if you look for wisdom and understanding, it says in verse four, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Well, that crowd. So looking is in. Well, that crowd. Searching. That crowd understands something that you or out you don't understand. When you're going through with a detector, because you're finding most of what we find is trash. There's a reason it's in the ground. When you find like silver, because silver holds up well. I mean, it looks spectacular coming out of the ground, even though it may have been there hundreds of years. There's just a, it, 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 there's a moment that you're like, uh, it's hard to describe. It, it's exciting. It's it's exhilarating. Well, knew, a certain amount of worth in it. It's valuable. So I knew all those people knew what that felt like. And so, of course, I didn't make the comparison. The proverb writer compared that to... Understanding the Lord finding you and, and and having wisdom in the Lord. I mean, I thought, what an analogy. Yeah. So I get it. Oh, it's exciting. It's riveting. So I started there, and then uh, then I, I I was headed toward, and I, and I it's got It's kind of like a picture of immortality. Silver has a long... It, yeah. it, it's tough. It can stay there a while. Well, I mentioned the, uh, the you know, the, a few parables with Jesus, you know, uh, and, and then I explained the point of the Bible. I went through my three questions. You know, what do you, I got three questions for you. And what are you doing on the earth? I mean, how'd you get here? What are you, what are you doing here? And how are you leaving? And uh, I was like, those three questions always get people's attention because we're humans. And, and if you find the answers to those, it'll bring you peace and joy and confidence and clarity and purpose. So, and so then I explained the Bible that, that it points to Jesus. You know, he's coming to the earth. He's here. So you have the gospels and he's, and he's coming back. And so then I, I used some of the parables that he referenced. And one of them I mentioned, you know, was the Luke 15 where he compared the reason he entertained and met, you know, strangers, even as, uh, those with bad reputations and the really sinful is that he told that story. The reason I'm engaging human beings, it's because 
if something is lost, there's a joy when someone finds it. He tells three stories. Well, one of them is a woman who had lost a coin, and she swept all night into her house until she a valuable coin until she found it. So I'm like, why is the creator of the universe using something like finding lost treasure compared to him coming to the earth to redeem people? I mean, it must be there must be a lot of joy in it. So. I just think it was interesting for the crowd. And so, of course, I was trying to introduce Jesus to the crowd because that's really, you know, what we're about. But I'm going to tell you, it went really well. And so then I closed and I introduced Murray. And so Murray came up and we did a QA, and a which lasted for an hour. And so here was the best part of the Q&A. So everybody's firing questions from Duck Dynasty questions to treasure questions to... There were two spiritual questions. Uh, one of them was, "What is your what what book do you recommend? Which book of the Bible do you recommend to start out reading?" And uh, what was the other question? Uh, I can't remember the specific question, but maybe like, "What is the point of the Bible?" It was something like that. Well, here's here's what's powerful. Those two questions came from a ten year old and a twelve year old. And uh, I was kind of moved by that. And so I, after they asked the second, because one of them was the, the last question on which book do you recommend, which I recommended the book of John. And I gave an invitation at that point because, no, it's a Saturday. We're in Canton. This is not a church building. But I was like, here's your invitation. You go home, read the book of John, and see who Jesus is in your mind because that's the most important view that you'll have of anything because it'll change your, your character and, and your actions from that day forward, good or bad, whether you follow him or not. So uh, how, how you view Jesus. And Jesus is, I mean, John is a good picture of that. So then I had those two boys up on stage, and I didn't have any spare duck calls. So I, I had four duck calls on my lanyard and because uh, I didn't have my hunting calls. These were more ones I've, I've demoed through the years or whatever. And one of them was the championship-style call, so... But so I gave them each one of those two off my lanyard. And uh, and I and so then I looked at the audience and I said, look, if you're wondering how our young people feel about the current spiritual uh, situation, I find it fascinating that of all the questions we got, the two spiritual questions came from a 10 year old and a 12 year old who were not sitting next to each other. <laughs> I was like, I think we need to go home and talk to our kids about spiritual matters. That's the sign I'm, because all the adults didn't know no spiritual questions. So I kind of chastised them a little bit, but mixed with love and, and grace in saying, look, let's have a spiritual conversation about our kids. They're obviously curious about those three questions and about what's in this Bible. So that was kind of the wrap up. And uh, of course, you can imagine what happened. So after this Q&A, we were bum-rushed because we were behind a table and a, and a wall. But So some were responding. I mean, just, you created a stir. Oh, it was a stir. It, Murray was looking at me like a deer in the headlights. But I, and, and, and I would say most of the conversations, because we signed you know, things and took pictures, were around spiritual matters. So I felt really good about that. Yeah, that last event I was at, I, I would tell them how I got started, you know, building duck calls and all that, you know, and I just, a moment hit me. 
And I just took my duck coughs. I showed them all about what ducks sound like. Oh, you told us that. And then you threw them to the crowd? Threw them to the crowd, and there was quite the scuffle. Yeah. For them for them zoned in on them duck coughs. I just threw them out to the crowd, and I just, just, yeah. a, just and where they hit, it was just a, it was a, a lot of jumping around. Yeah. Well, well, that's dad, why. I, I saw, yeah. But dad, the way the way you just described that, I was imagining like a soft toss to the crowd. But I actually saw it being videoed <laughs> how you did that, and you kind of did it like like Thor on the movie did his anvil. You kind of did a little whipping action with the, <laughs> it was too much. It was too much going toward the crowd after I saw him. You, you did a whipping action and then it just, it shot out of there like a cannon. And I was just praying that when I watched the video that nobody was decapitated <laughs> by, your, by your lanyard of duck calls. I don't know whether it was, I, I left all of that thinking, I don't know whether that was a good idea or not. <laughs> no, everybody was fine. I, I did check. I did follow up. Everybody was good. But I was, I was laughing because of the way you, you, you kind of did a little a little wind up. And what into most the of them didn't know was those duck calls had hung around my neck for about a decade, about ten years. It's oh, it was up. quite the it was quite the generous gift. I'm sure that whoever got it was proud to get it. So, Dad, what's the what's a fast growing tree out there on your property? The weeping willow. I don't know where the weeping part came. But a willow willow tree, which makes for great brush, right? I mean, it grows fast. You can put it on your duck blind. You don't have to plant them. You can just depend on the cranes. And if there are no willows and you start putting water on a piece of real estate in Louisiana, willows will start coming up around the bank because the the cranes came in with the willow bloom on their feet. And they, 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 they plan it for you. So it's a pretty, pretty good deal. So uh, there's one of our sponsors is a company called Fast Growing Trees. And I'm not sure if they have weeping willows on the menu, but they do have a lot of other fast growing trees. Uh, yeah, they have one of the, oh, yeah. So one of the beautiful things they have is you can go to their website. You don't have to go to some lot somewhere and wait in line, but you can get their plants. Uh, you can get their trees. You can have them delivered straight to your house. Uh, I've done it right here at the Southern Lair. Uh, it's springtime, so we're trying to spruce up our area. So Lisa and I uh, recently got a palm tree delivered. Came in great shape. Uh, they've got a 30-day alive and thrive guarantee, uh, which is great. So when it comes in, it's fresh out of the box. If it's not in great shape, you can ship it back, but you won't need to because it comes perfect. So you can join over 1.5 million Happy Fast Growing Trees customers by going to fastgrowingtrees.com slash Roberts. You're going to get 15% off your entire order. So that's 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash Roberts. Check them out. No, Jace, I thought that was an excellent approach to that. And especially being your your first time, and I love the progression by going ancient to more recent in terms of the biblical approach, because I think that was really good. And then right into the modern vernacular, because I think it does show that people are still searching and seeking. And look, you can find biblical, you know, relevance to any hobby. And I think you showed that. I think that that's 
that's an excellent way to approach that. I, I think it's a great way to show our audience because people are always saying, how can I be relevant? How can I share my story? How can I share faith? But I think you showed an excellent way to do that. You just have to be willing to be bold enough to do that and to talk about the things you enjoy doing and share and share your faith. I think the point I didn't uh, I didn't share yet that really got their attention because you got to remember, you know, the process of treasure hunting is you got to find the stuff. And then there's a cleaning. You, it, that's just as important as finding it is the way you clean it. Because whatever metal it's made of dictates a certain, uh, you know, set of parameters that you have to use in cleaning, or you can ruin it even even after you find it. If you you know, copper's different as compared to brass or silver or gold. So, I basically made the analogy because. There at the end, and when I said, why Jesus? What separates Jesus, you know, from, from just being another religious guy or, or why Jesus? And I said, well, when you think about it, what he did when he came down as God in human form is he showed us how to live. He, he revealed the character of God in not only his teachings, but his heart and how he approached people. But he also, you know, went to a cross to basically clean us up. And then when he came out of the ground, it showed you that, because what's ironic about treasure hunting is we're digging things out of the ground, the same ground that we'll all be under at some point. You see where I'm going with this? If there's a way for you to come out of the ground, it's going to be, Jesus digging you up. And so I made that point. I said, every time I dig a hole looking for something valuable that's lost, a part of me realizes that one day Jesus, through the power of his spirit, is going to bring my dead body forth from the ground. It's a great reminder. And he cleaned me up, so I made the cross and the resurrection, you know, as an an analogy of what we're doing in the treasure hunt world. And I concluded that by saying that if there's a way to live forever, this is, this is it. So that's how you're coming out of the ground. That That's why he did use that as a, as a metaphor. Uh, and so I think it was well-received. No, that's good. I like it. I like that, which is made new, which is kind of the whole theme of the Bible which is kind of to your second question you asked is, you know, what's the theme that which is made new, which I think is kind of the, the point of it all. Uh, before we get into our, our study, cause we've got a brand new study today, which I'm super excited about a couple of things I wanted to mention. Uh, one is um, we, we want to mention this the next few weeks to kind of prep our audience. So starting uh, the week of May the 7th, they're going to make a little bit of shift to how they release the podcast. So, We've been releasing on Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. They're going to start releasing on the the Sunday podcast on Thursday. So it'll be Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, instead of on Sundays. Um, I've used, obviously spend time with your family on, and at church on Sunday. And so that's kind of been the least uh, listened to and watched day for podcasts. So they're going to put that during the week. So just kind of giving you a heads up uh, to look for that. Uh, that new release that'll be the the week of May the seventh. Also, um, I'm going to be in uh, Toledo, Ohio, 
Thursday, May the 4th. That's a national day of prayer. It's, it's called an annual prayer dinner. It's at the Premier Banquet Hall on Thursday, May the 4th. And so you can check that out if you're in that area. Uh, Thursday, May the 4th. Um, I'm going to be up there doing a, a thing for that. So I'm excited about that. So check it out. So today, Jace, we are excited to be heading into the book of Luke. It is the only gospel that we've yet to study. And actually, it's really amazing because it, it's probably it, what well, it is the most unique of the four gospels, no doubt about it. I mean, they all have a unique twist on them um, and take on them because we started with John because it's it's uh, probably it's the most uniquely written John is. But Luke is, is unique because uh, it's the only Gentile author and really it's the only author that wasn't one of the actual eyewitnesses. Uh, well, that's not true because I guess Mark was too, although he was kind of a ghostwriter. But uh, it's really an interesting uh, read. And so it's the last one of the four that we haven't taken a look at on the podcast yet. So uh, I don't know. I guess uh, we're going to kind of start out with these first four verses, but uh, I don't know the I, best way to dive in here. But. I couldn't get past the first four verses. I, I know. It's, I, it's so good. You know, it's like when you read something. And you know it's there, but then when you try to study it in a deep way, you realize that I just really hadn't given this enough credit for the the power that he's presenting on how reliable their accounts are. And he basically made a case for that in the first four verses and the last chapter. Right. And so we'll read these first four as well as the first couple of verses in Acts. And before we do that, I'll just tell you a little bit about Luke. He was obviously a physician. He's a Gentile, uh, which, again, makes him different out of the four gospel writers. Uh, he's the only Gentile. In Colossians 4.14, 2 Timothy 4.11, and Philemon 24, he's mentioned. So he was part of Paul's entourage. He traveled around with Paul, and this is where he got a lot of his direct information, obviously, uh, was a part of that group. And that's where we know he was a physician. He was obviously very well-versed in Greek, which makes this um, particular um, gospel um, would have been very appealing to a Greek audience, which is part of the reason why most scholars uh, believe that it was included, was so that it could uh, particularly appeal to a Gentile audience. So, uh, of course, and that's part of the reason that, that he addresses it through Theophilus as well as what he does to Acts chapter 1 as well. So, What came out of this, and I just counted them up and looked, and I was surprised that baptism is mentioned about 85 or 90 times in the Bible, all of it from Matthew through the rest of the book, through the rest of the 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 undergoing, but one of the things that surprised me, uh, by the time we get to chapter three, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him. By the way, half the text of the of the eighty-five times baptism is mentioned. Half of that is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and a lot of it's in in Luke. But he addresses the crowds that come out with him. John said. When we get over here in chapter 3, uh, he said, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? 
it just surprised me that they were so bluntly, John the Baptist and Jesus too, that they were so bluntly about uh, who these people were, dead in their sins. I mean, it was like, uh, I mean, you talk about cutting it to the to the the heart of the matter, you know, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, he said to them after he called them a brood of vipers. That's pretty amazing now that you would have a message that spread like fire, but it was very blunt. The book, the yeah, book of Luke shows you the bluntness of the arrival of Jesus Christ through John the Baptist. Yeah, and, and Luke is going to give us probably the the well, no doubt, the biggest and greatest picture of John the Baptist than any of the four Gospels. Yep. Uh, both his foretelling and background, no doubt about it. So, Jace, how important is it to have a clean weapon? It's one of the things that I do from time to time, especially from the months of September to February, especially in Louisiana. There's The elements can be difficult so you don't want to ever be blaming uh, your lack of shooting skills or effectiveness on your weapon or a dirty gun barrel you know this it's really not something you enjoy doing but it's one of those things you have to do right i mean especially when the weather's bad and you know you have situations like that one of our uh, sponsors uh, new sponsors that we're kind of excited about is a group called barrel buddy uh, and what they've done is um, they've invented a new product to try to keep your barrel super clean. You know, in the old days, we would use patches, uh, you know, and the problem with the stinking patches uh, was that you, know, you go to pick one up, you get a whole bunch of them. You're trying to go through there. They, they don't quite clean everything up. So they came out with this uh, rope or the boar snake, they called it. The problem with that was you couldn't tell whether your gun barrel was really clean or not. So you had a lot of issues. Uh, so they come up with this new uh, product, uh, keeps it nice and clean. Um, you know, you can see it. You can tell that it's clean uh, from the product that's there. Uh, it's uh, no long rods to take up space, uh, which is really nice. You can see the clean it has a white polymer uh, that shows that. It also lubricates as it cleans. And it's American-made, uh, which we're always excited about that as well. It's a new concept. It's a better way to take care of your firearms. So we want you to check it out. We guarantee you'll love them. Go to BarrelBuddy.com today. That's B-A-R-R-E-L Buddy.com. Check them out. So, Jace, you want to read those first four? Well, what uh, I'd like to do Or is, how you want to get into it. Yeah, what I'd like to propose, and, uh, you know, I listen to a lot of a lot of sermons. Uh, I listen to a couple by... Uh, Tim Keller, which who I love, and and I read really way more books than I usually do about this, just because I didn't realize in this in this battle of uh, I guess cultural apologetics, as Zach would say, that these four verses and and, and in chapter twenty four makes a a, a powerful case for why we believe these accounts, uh, specifically the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are so reliable. Yeah. And and so, you know, I read a lot of worldly articles uh, from, you know, the Huffington Post and Time Magazine and how they 
what what was shocking is how they attack the credibility of the Bible in pretty much the same way, which is these are just legends. There were tons of them, and basically their theory is that the the church and the Christians had an agenda, and so like years later, they took the best ones of the lot of the you know the the gospels and put that into a Bible, you know, to promote the agenda. I think most of them are like 300 years later. It was like this organized religion basically got all this lined out. And so uh, in one of Tim Keller's uh, sermons, he he addressed that same principle, and he was using a lot of these same articles, which is how I was led to, to read them all. And he's like, the problem with that, what the culture is saying, is that it's just dead wrong. And he's like, that's the problem. They're just absolutely wrong. It's not legend. It wasn't like they were making a movie and all these got left on the cutting room floor and there wasn't some agenda, you know, hundreds of years later where they like fixed a book up that that met their needs or whatever. And so I'd like to discuss that and kind of go at it from the theme just in the first couple podcasts about how this, what was the point of Luke writing this and and how this came to be, just really looking at these these verses in detail. So I, I, I want to read the first four verses, and then I want to read, because uh, I think Jesus explains a lot about the reliability of the Old Testament and, and what his purpose was in chapter 24. So I'm going to read some of that to go along with it. So in Luke 1, he starts off say, saying, Many have undertaking, undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled. And I want to highlight that word, fulfilled, because it's a common word that Jesus is going to use, especially when it comes to the law, remember in uh, Sermon on the Mount, it's like, I didn't come to, uh, you know, abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. Uh, you remember he would do something and say, this was so I can fulfill prophecy. Uh, and what we're fixed to read in Luke 24, he, he came to fulfill a number of things. So, so let me just start over reading. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So he brings up eyewitness. Well, why is all of a sudden are we going to start talking about eyewitnesses here in giving an account? Because you got to remember back there in their culture, you know, they didn't have social media and, and magazines and far how, from it. Yeah, how you how you uh, made something reliable, even the more I studied on this, which I found fascinating, is people, you know, eyewitnesses were the most important part of of telling a story. Cause you would you would take their account and memorize it and pass it down, kind of like, you know, in a way that was uh, 
vocally said, and people would memorize it to get the facts, and then people would write them down. So, uh, so this is based on eyewitnesses, which all of a sudden you're seeing from what our culture says that you read. This is the opposite of coming up with legends and then hundreds of years later, you know, saying, well, which ones are we going with? They said, we're, we have undertaken, I mean, Luke is saying, we're going to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled, and they were handed down to us, which means they were spoken from a memorized eyewitness and passed out. That's how they passed them down and recorded and written. <clears throat> so it's based on eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have, now watch what he says carefully investigated everything from the beginning. So it wasn't like he's just going to say, you know, I'm just going to sit down under a tree and, and, and write a few things. No, he's, he carefully investigated what was handed down, and he's basing what he said uh, from eyewitnesses. Therefore, you can rely on it. That's right. It seemed good also to me, to write an orderly account, so it's the same word that he used in the first verse about, I'm going to, you know, many have undertaken to draw up account. Well, I'm going to draw up an account for you. And they, he's doing it for whoever this Theopolis, Theophilus is, so that you may know. Now, here's the, the key phrase, which is why the world doesn't like this the certainty of the things you have been taught which is not basing your faith and your your life on a legend. These are things that have what he what he's basically saying in the first four verses is this is history. And there's a lot your life is riding on it. <laughs> yeah. And then we know what he's going to get into. Well, what is he going to get into? What is he fixing to share in after in between chap, chapter 1 and verse 5? What story is he fixing to tell? He's fixed to tell the story of Jesus, who, who claim what? To be God in the flesh. And also, I think he definitely has implications when he talks about carefully investigated, that he's even making implications of him as a doctor, a man of science, man of man of education that look this isn't just some guy sitting under a tree either i mean in other words he's saying i've taken a look at this i've checked this out and this is the real deal to your point so i mean he's even making implications that i've i've looked at this i've heard the explanations and this is the real deal i mean there's no doubt about it, it i mean there there's an underlying implication that he has studied this, and this is this is true. Exactly. Now, I want to read you before I read chapter twenty-four, because because y'all don't know that I, you know that I was going to do this. We didn't discuss it, but I th I feel this is important. I, I wanted to read a couple quotes that I jotted down, and uh, you know I apologize if I didn't get these exactly right because they were quite lengthy, and I was just making notes, but to give you the spirit of, of this first quote, this was a, a British pastor. His name was Dick Lucas, and he was in a debate 
with a guy who believed in God, but was saying he was frustrated that there's no watertight, infallible uh, proof beyond all reason argument for you know God being real. It's like he was in he was in search of just like an argument that could crush all other arguments. And this Dick Lucas, in response to that kind of thinking, said this, I don't believe God has given us this argument. You know, he didn't give us a a watertight argument above all arguments, in which he said, which bothers some. What he did give us was a watertight, infallible person. There's no way around him. There's no escape from Jesus. Jesus Christ is the person who by his actions and character destroys all arguments. And the reason I'm, I'm, I'm reading that quote is because I think what, what Luke's whole point is, is that he said, look, this came from eyewitnesses. We've investigated I'm going to tell you a story. Well, then the story is about a person. It's not a series of arguments trying to. It's like he gave a a legal foundation for what he was fixed to share. So you're expecting an argument. But what he does is he reveals a person, which I find fascinating. So that I, I wanted to read Luke 24 now, and I think you'll you'll find this interesting just to make the point about Luke revealing a person, his name is Jesus. So to pick up at the end, and we'll go get into this in detail when we get to, get here, but you remember when this is post-resurrection, and Jesus, now he's been raised from the dead at this point, and he's on this road to Emmaus, and there was a couple fellows you know, discussing about what had happened. And I'll pick up in verse 15. It says, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Now I know it's hard for getting in our mind that you know he was he was just dead for three days, and, and now he has appeared. And it says, "But they were kept from recognizing him," which is another aspect that Jesus is claiming to be God here. If you can come back from the dead. And you can keep other people from recognizing you. You have powers that are not of this earth. So it says, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. Now, one of them named Cleopas, and this is why I wanted to read this. Well, you know, Luke records a specific name here. And the other one, he doesn't give a name. But what we're seeing here. If this was just a made-up legend, why is Luke giving a detail about what the guy's name is when, and, and, and you know, later we'll get into this, that all these eyewitnesses, if you were making this stuff up and putting this in a book, wouldn't people come up and say, well, wait a minute, that wasn't Cleopas or what? Because they did that a lot. Now, this is just one example. 
But it just seems weird that you have a detail that he's he's naming this person. That if you were just making this up, that that's something that wouldn't wouldn't be done, and it happens over and over and over. But to get back to the point on on what it says, it says, "Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem, and do you not know the things that have happened there in the, in these days?" And Jesus said, "What things?" Now Jesus knew about Jesus of Nazareth. They replied, "He was a prophet." Powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers hand him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. And notice this phrase. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. So they're disappointed and downcast, and they had a wrong view of what his purpose was. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place, in addition some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb, but this morning they didn't find his body. I mean, this is so surreal because he's talking to them. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb, found it just as the women had said, but him they didn't find. And he said to them, how foolish and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer uh, these things, and then enter his glory, and beginning, now here's the verse I wanted to get to, and beginning with Moses, the prophets, he explained to them that what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. All of a sudden, he said, this pointed to me. And so they, they go along on the journey, and then in verse 30, they were at the table. He was acting like he was going to leave. They come to a table. They took bre- He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, began to give it to him, and then their eyes were open. They recognized him, and he, and he disappeared from their sight. Then they asked each other, were not our hearts burning when he opened our eyes to the Scriptures? So they got up, returned to Jerusalem, and they said, the Lord is risen. So then I want to drop down and read one more verse before we go to overtime. When he gets down to verse 44, he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled, which is the same word that Jesus, I mean, Luke used in verse 1. Now watch what he says. That is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. I read all that to say he's fixed to give you an account of who Jesus is and how everything in the Bible pointed to Jesus and it was based on eyewitnesses. So that's his assertion. And we can discuss further if that is proved accurate. We'll, we'll uh, flesh that out a little bit more in the overtime. Uh, that's a good point, though, because it really directly links back to how he begins it. And also, Jace, it's the only time, the only gospel that mentions uh, the road to a mass is luke's version which is interesting um so we'll talk about that in overtime if you want to follow us over uh, blazetv.com slash unashamed and uh we'll see you there thanks for listening to the unashamed podcast help us out by rating us on itunes and don't miss an episode by subscribing on youtube and be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes and for even more content that you won't get anywhere else Subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.